Welcome back, Skigglers, to another episode of the Skits and Giggles podcast. My name is Pascal, and I'm joined by my co-host Bryson. How's it going tonight, buddy? Oh, very swell and swell. How are you, Pascal? Oh, I'm very good, very good. We are also joined by uh, the coach to the world's fastest racers, Nick Walser. How is it going tonight? I'm great, thank you. Good. Well, there's obviously a lot of things we want to talk about tonight. Um, but I guess the first thing I wanted to mention is that I've been scrolling the trusted platform Roots and Rain, scrolling through your results. Um, there's 85 results, I have you know, on that platform. And I've been looking at your recent results and... I guess the question is, is there ever going to be a race between all the coaches on the World Cup circuit or uh, are you just doing this for fun? Well, that would definitely be an interesting race and I would surely compete. But yeah, I'm just trying to keep going and working my way to the Masters category that's coming in a few years. So the elites keep me sharp so I can maybe yeah, grab a podium in the Masters class then. Okay, so you, you're working towards uh, Masters Championships. What is that? Uh, from age 35, I guess. Yeah, 35 onwards, yeah. So um, we'll see if I compete right away, but uh, definitely a goal of mine. Okay, very nice. So I guess you are um, your own best client, so to speak. Um, but maybe um, to start with, can you um, lay out for us and the listeners, of course, um, how you got to be? A coach to the world's fastest racers it's a long story and i could start uh, way back when i started my own uh, riding career but actually coaching started only after i um, began with uh, my studies in mucklingen with my bachelor and masters in uh, sports science so that was pretty much as soon as i started the transition started as well from athlete to coach well, I never left being an athlete. I'm still trying to race and race uh, myself and all my athletes, of course. But with my education, uh, people started asking for uh, for coaching. And that's when it started. As I said, you know, if I scroll all the way down on Roots and Rain, those results go way back. So I guess uh, you have had a similar illustrious uh, junior and uh, espoir and then an elite career as, as many others have had. Um, how, uh, how did you get into this whole racing at the time? Okay, so let's start at the beginning. So I was playing tennis with my dad a lot. That was kind of my thing until I was about 13 years old. And then uh, we went to a tennis uh, competition, just watching, not playing just uh, in my area here. And then uh, there was like a, a tombola, I don't know in English. Uh, so a little, uh, you could draw a, a little piece of paper. And then uh, at the end of the game, uh, we were handed a, a mountain bike. So we won a mountain bike there, first prize. Oh, nice. And then, uh, yeah, it was a hardtail. Uh, at the time, most amazing thing I've ever seen, of course. So I got that, and then uh, one of my best friends was uh, in a biking club. So uh, I joined him and tried to uh, do some cross-country riding with him, but I uh, didn't do very well. I have hay fever, and my endurance was not up to par, and I struggled and didn't have much fun because, uh, yeah, they're always, I was always in the back of the group. So, um, but the biking I really liked and me and my friend always rode around the neighborhood as kids do, jumping off, uh, the, of benches and everything we could find and started building little ramps in the, in the back of the house. And those got bigger and bigger. And then, uh, one, once I turned 14, I think my sister gave me three DVDs. One was snowboarding, the other was uh, mountain biking, and the third one was skateboarding. It was like those three sports that I could choose from, basically. And I chose the mountain bike movie, <laughs> and uh, it was called Evolution, uh, really old, some downhill racing, and it really inspired me, and the jumps in the backyard got bigger and bigger. And uh, I started looking at some other bikes and my hardtail. It was taking quite a beating. But uh, yeah, eventually uh, I ordered a um, Rocky Mountain Switch 
as uh yeah more silky forks like old school like could can't imagine how i wrote that but um it was it was like a next level bike never seen anything like that in switzerland maybe on the trail devils forum i don't know if you guys uh, remember that but it was really active yeah, back in the day so i was on there all the time seeing those guys hitting big stuff and then finally got a bike that was up to par with what i was trying to do so I got that and um, not long after convinced my parents that I wanted to do an exchange year in uh, Whistler. So uh, I wanted to ride there, oh. hit the park, be Terrible in the mecca of, of it all. Yeah. And I already knew mountain biking is going to be the thing for me. That's, that's my passion. So I convinced them and uh, yeah, not, not long after I was in Whistler. At 15 years old and uh, riding my bike in the park, shredding that thing and just riding all day, every day. No, like my hands were hurting, my forearms oh, horrible. I got arm pumped, but I just kept riding and had the most fun I've ever had and just kept going and started racing a little bit there. The Fat Wednesday series there, I, I raced a couple of those. But I always stayed on, or mostly stayed on A-Line, a dirt merchant, and was like, okay, I I want to go into the free ride scene because I grew up with New World Disorder, you know, New World Disorder 5, that was the movie. I even recreated it with my best friend, like we were filming the intro scene with like a little moped uh, and uh, yeah, filmed the whole movie in our backyard and the forest around our houses where we built trails like pretty sketchy north shore trails but that was the scene back then and that's what we were trying to recreate and ride ourselves and yeah we actually built some big stuff in the woods and it was it was good times and um yeah new world disorder was that thing and looking up to thomas vanderham wade simmons richie schley all those guys so tried to be a free rider but as soon as I came back from Whistler, here in Switzerland, free riding, where, where do you go? <laughs> what do you do? There's, there's barely any jumps. There's nothing to hit. And uh, yeah, I, wasn't, I was never really good at tricks. Suicide no-hander, that's one thing I could do over almost every jump, but that was about it. So uh, my progress was pretty limited. That's already a pretty decent showstopper, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ride. It was a ride, but... Um, yeah, it was hard to be a free rider in Switzerland. I did the Chatel Mountain style. Um, that was pretty cool, like a mini, mini rampage. So uh, I did that, but yeah, it went well, but I was in the amateur category and yeah, nobody, nobody was looking or there was no future and I was not good enough, definitely. But um, that was kind of my thing. And then, yeah, I realized, okay, what, what kind of competitions can I do? And then, uh, yeah, I found some downhill races, um, like the now called Hot Trail Series. Uh, Homberg Race was my first race ever here in Switzerland. And uh, that's kind of where it started. I was still junior. I only had one year junior. Looking back, I wish I'd started earlier with proper racing, but it took me a while to really uh, get hooked on racing. But that's when I started, 2009, I think was that. And then, yeah, found the IXS Cups. Got, and then I think you can see the results on uh, Roots and Rain. That's where it all started. And then, yeah, soon after, I was hitting the whole series and, yeah, enjoying the last junior year. And then, uh, yeah, straight into elites. And that's when it got serious. Okay. And um, so, yeah, you mentioned, so you obviously you got into the coaching side and the interest a bit more when you when you did you started your studies but were you were you already working with other people or did you have coaches yourself that you were working with at the time that uh, that inspired kind of this uh this development towards moving to coaching yourself i started racing as i said 2009 and after a couple of years i was still in school in switzerland um after school i decided okay i'll take three years and see where it gets me three years trying to go pro and back then like i didn't know anyone 
who was like racing at a high level or or is a pro athlete anyway so uh, looking back i had no idea what to do but uh, i called around i didn't i think i called the swiss national coach back then and he um, told me i should get in touch with uh, nicolas siegenthaler emily's dad was coaching uh, nino schurter and herself and and he actually said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll coach you. So, um, we started working together. And for me, I, I have no idea how training works. So I've never, I, I was in the gym before, of course, but like at some, I was able to use the machines, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And then I started training with him. And obviously, yeah, I, I had to learn a lot and, um, but it was more like I was just following a plan. I was good at following the plan. Um, it got me really fit. Uh, my endurance uh, was definitely up to par after that. And uh, it was interesting and really good. Uh, I had to learn a lot, probably did a lot of stuff wrong as well. But uh, it, was, it was a great experience for me and it gave me a lot of confidence that I would uh, I would make it. Because yeah, he's, he's famous, he's working with some of the best racers and gave me a boost and uh unfortunately first race uh after a winter training with him i crashed broke my hand and that like give me a bit of a give him a break <laughs> and yeah it took a bit of confidence and yeah first injury for me and had to get back somehow and yeah it was it was hard but um still kept it going and uh worked it out and got back racing had some decent results but always felt like even either i crashed or pushed a bit too hard or not enough and yeah i was never i was never satisfied with any of the results um but uh some intense three years but after those three years I realized and also my parents who are very, very supportive and um, always uh, had my back that, okay, maybe you should look at some other like education or just have a plan B if it's not, uh, if it's not all coming together to become a pro. And then, uh, yeah, muckling was pretty, was pretty cool with uh, sports and training and all that stuff so I was, I was also keen to start that and uh, could leave racing or becoming a pro aside yeah. but uh, that's kind of how, how how it started and then as soon as I started my studies all my friends not all my friends but some of my friends started asking hey can I um, can I have a plan from you can you tell me what to do what should I do I, I want to get fitter I want to get better and I didn't know much then, but I had some experience from being coached. And then uh, obviously with all the school and education I got, I was kind of starting to figure it out by myself. And um, yeah, I started coaching some, some guys. Whoa, 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 wait a second, Pascal, what was that sound? <laughs> I started using that sound whenever we wanted to say something about our social or where you guys can find more information about the Skits and Giggles podcast, we are currently most active on our Instagram, where you can skit right into our DMs and follow along at Skits and Giggles. And you can find our website with all the relevant links and info under the URL skitsandgiggles.com. Also, if you guys like what we're doing and want to know what's up, just give us a follow on Spotify, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to great podcasts. Finally, Sharing episodes you enjoy on your socials or a heartfelt five-star rating on your favorite platform goes a long way in helping us reach more cool people like you. Right on, with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Um, it sounds like a lot of trials and tribulations through those those three years trying to, trying to make it as a pro. Um, but did you ever, um, you know, through those dark moments, see the silver lining and say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm following my dream. Like this is, this is how I want my life to be shaped. Not really, not really. Because back when you're, or I was, I was in the zone. I was no, not in the zone. I was in a tunnel. 
like over the years not getting the results i wish i had or i was i was pretty results orientated back then i didn't know any better so when the results were not coming in right away you know you start okay what should i do different is my training not good enough um you start thinking about a lot of things that you're maybe doing wrong and it it's not looking back i shouldn't have done that it should all have been about fun and you know wow three years to try to achieve uh, my goal and having the time of my life but back then you're in the tunnel you want to do good and if it's not happening you're like stressing out and what should I do different and it was it was stressful and definitely did not see the big picture but uh yeah you learn that once it's over and when you're in there i wish i had someone telling me hey mm -hmm. chill out relax have fun do your thing and, and it will come process. and uh, yeah trust the process mm -hmm. kind of thing but yeah i didn't i didn't have that and um needed uh, i learned a lot of stuff from that like Looking back, it was an awesome learning experience, but I can teach that my, my athletes now, but I uh, I definitely have not seen the silver lining then. So Nick, I was going to touch exactly on that point. Now you're at the part of your life, career, where you can say to these athletes that you're coaching, hey, I was there. You know, There is light, light at the end of the, the tunnel, as you say, or as we say. Um, so that must that must help immensely. I mean, it's 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 something not everyone can mm -hmm. can give this advice. I mean, they can give it, of course, but to really say it with a meaning and you know, yeah, that's have definitely practical experience. One thing that gives me way. confidence as a coach as well is I've been through a lot of stuff and I've been in situations my athletes are in now. Doesn't matter if they yeah at the start gate for a world championship, and I've I've never been at the world championship, but I was close enough to a level that I can really relate to the problems that they're having. And I'm confident enough uh, now to, to give them advice that I'm, I'm sure they will help or that's not just yeah, out of a textbook. So that's definitely one thing that, that it's, it's a good thing yeah, to have. But yeah, back then I, I struggled. Yeah. Outside of uh, working with um, Emily's dad, um, were there any other support structures for, for let's say, the gravity disciplines um, at the time? Um, unlike, I mean, today it's only starting to come, but uh, I guess at that time there was nothing. Or how did that work at the time? No, there was there was nothing. Like, okay, there was the national team, but I had no idea how how I how I would get there or who to talk to. I knew the name of the national coach, but at that time when I was starting, I was so far away uh, to be in the national team. So I, I didn't go that route. And I knew if you're good, you're in a professional team, but how to get in a team, I had no idea. I didn't know how to get sponsors. That's over the years. I, of course, I tried to uh, make myself known and talk to some companies and stuff. But like where to start as an athlete and if if there's any like group of riders that would train regularly or if you, you know, have Swiss cycling, do anything for gravity, there's like no, no nothing around. So you were by yourself. But I knew that like I didn't expect anything. I was just a lonely warrior and trying to do uh, something that's, that uh, no one had done around me and is a big goal of mine, but I didn't have any friends back then who were chasing the same. So I met, I met a lot of racers, of course, but um, none of them had the, had the same goal. Of course, they all wanted to win races, but like, or maybe I didn't talk to them enough, but none of them were like, okay, I'm giving him my all. I want to become a World Cup racer and, uh, like, yeah, putting everything on this one uh, card. So, But you mentioned uh, that, you know, your friends started asking about coaching and helping out and all these kind of things already, right? But 
And that's obvious in terms of your education. You're doing a master of science in sports science, I understand. Um, but mentally, from your own personal mindset, you just described of you know yourself as being absorbed in the results and making this dream work and and uh, and, and getting to your goal. How and when did you shift away from this, you know, focus on yourself to to this outside perspective on focus on someone else and and finding pleasure in someone else's performance? Mm, yeah, good question. I think it was it was a process, you know, because um, letting your dream go, that was that was hard, and there were definitely moments where like really consciously thought about it like okay i'm never going to be a world cup racer that was hard but the school and the coaching that came out of it gave me something else right away to to latch on and maybe transform my dream into something else and after or in the first year actually i started a coaching business with my friend uh not not for biking specifically but for all kinds of sports And that uh, absorbed me quite a bit and, and took my focus away maybe from my own goal to uh, having yeah, a coaching company and help other athletes. And yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a good process. And um, looking back, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sad about it how, it, how it worked out. Okay. Well, let's uh, fast forward a little bit. I mean, you know, you mentioned you've done Master of Science, you work as a coach. Uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of time between, you know, your education and the transition away from your own racing to, to what you do today. Um, how, um, how has that transition been going, right? So you, start, you started with your own, like, multi-sport business, coaching business, to now pretty exclusively focusing on... On, on like top top level racers and and performance diagnostics actually in your in your day job how has that transition gone over the time yes that was also quite fluently actually so i always had mountain bikers that i coached and that got more and more over the years of course like people started talking maybe a bit and um i was getting a bit better as well as my athletes so um That was a, just a natural progression. And then once I left school, of course, I, I moved back to where I grew up and uh, yeah, I started working uh, in uh, Mutants and all that transition. Um, yeah, just made me, uh, made me realize that I, yeah, mountain biking is the one thing that really, really, really interests me and I care about a lot. So um, I left all the other coachings aside and just uh, wanted to focus on, on mountain biking and yeah become a become an expert in that area and it's it's my passion so it's pretty easy uh, i uh i like uh, <laughs> do nothing else in my spare time is riding bikes and thinking about biking and performance and all that stuff so it's pretty natural just to have that and then course i can combine it with my work as well a bit um which is also in performance and uh, science and all that kind of stuff so it was just the perfect combination of having a, a good day job but uh my hobby is getting bigger and bigger and becoming the second second job and uh yeah it was it was a good transition Okay, so maybe for for the listener, what uh, you know to to lay out a little bit, right? So what you do? I mean, you know, we we always talk uh, as if everyone knows what you do. Uh, um, you know, so can you maybe lay out for for the listener what what your let's say your main job is in Mutens, and uh, and and obviously your coaching on the side is is kind of the. Uh, what, what most people know you uh, certainly from our from our listeners know you from um but uh maybe talk a little bit also about your day job which also is very interesting yeah my day job is uh well i'm a sports scientist as as you would say um i work in a sports clinic and there we do of course performance diagnostics biomechanics and some science um It's like a little department inside of the clinic. I, I don't operate on anyone or 
do any medical or physio stuff. Um, they come to us for um, some measurements before and after they get operated or they want to get better in their sport or just come for some testing. Um, it varies from elite athlete in tennis or soccer to your everyday person who just uh, had a ski accident or wants to compete in the next local marathon. So it's pretty, pretty varied and pretty cool to be able to use exactly what I studied. So that's really what I studied in Mucklingen, like sports science, doing tests and check, uh, check, um, what do you, what do you call that? Um, you know, for, for example, for Scott, we tested some shoes. Let's see how they, uh, perform and what physiology, physiology, uh, what, what reactions they have or what effect they have on physiology and stuff like that. To, um, that's pretty cool to, uh, have that broad, broad working area during the day. I believe there's quite a quite a bit of a cross section between your your sports science work, so like the performance diagnostics and your coaching. And I guess that's a, a little bit where where we want to dive deeper in today, if 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 you if you feel like it, um, is is kind of mountain biking is in that sense a little bit different uh, to to let's say more of the, the traditional disciplines, right? It's not not very one-dimensional mountain biking is very multi-dimensional so if you compare it to road cycling right so you know there, there's a few very clear performance metrics uh, that you can measure in a lab and uh, you know that can tell you if someone is gonna finish okay in the tour de france or not so okay or <laughs> not even in the tour um whereas uh, you know in, in in mountain biking you have you know the elements of of strength you have endurance you have skills you have mobility you have balance you have you have all these kind of things so how does um how do these two things fit together for you in coaching what kind of what are the things that you measure in the lab from a sports science perspective um that help you for your coaching and then that steer the recommendations you make for your athletes? So the lab gives me very specific answer to some questions. So I can analyze a person in certain areas, certain energy systems I can define and test. But for mountain biking, in specifically talking about gravity disciplines, the answers I get from those tests is very limited. So... We do with Swiss cycling, we, we try to create a test for the gravity disciplines. And of course, um, resources are limited, but it doesn't differ that much from cross country riding. So you test, uh, endurance, you test, uh, strength, and that's pretty much it. Um, for mountain biking, or as I said, gravity racing, those parameters are probably just a small part of it all. So it helps you in the understanding of how the human body works and what basics I need. But coaching for gravity is, is a whole other story then. So performance diagnostic is just a small part for me. And there's still a long way to go in implementing the right tests for gravity racing. I've been doing some uh, unscientific testing of my own as a uh, struggling gravity rider. And I was wondering if I could just throw some silly questions at you to benchmark what I'm doing and maybe you can find some uh, inspiration or even just give me an answer. Uh, I find that one of the things that really affects my writing is vision. Do you guys do vision no, tests? No, we do not. And uh, explain to me, how, how do you imagine a vision test? It goes actually hand in hand with my next question, which is, and we can, we can answer it as like a double thing. Um, so they're kind of silly questions, but not so silly. You know, I just, I'm really actually really curious because it's also something that plays around in my mind. Um, 
do you guys do like grip strength or like vibration endurance training? Training. Or, or sorry, testing. We do grip testing, yeah. Vibration, no. Okay. Yeah, because sometimes I feel like maybe I just need someone to help me set up my suspension. But like when I get really sh- shooken up or like fatigued, it's sometimes hard to like focus further out. And then you can't go as fast as comfortably, right? And so, I don't know, there's just a bit of a dynamic there. And I don't know exactly what it is because I'm not a professional at this. But, you know, I'm starting to piece a little bit of these things together. Um, okay, well, benchmark complete. Thank <laughs> so, you for yeah, asking So, yeah, so grip strength is an, is an interesting <laughs> thing. And uh, there's some studies that suggest, like, after riding technique, which is uh, the most important thing, grip strength endurance is, is, uh, is right up there with uh, performance parameters, yeah. So um, it's definitely interesting. But then when you look or when you ask athletes, like some athletes struggle, some never had any problems. And testing that and putting it all into something you can use for like a broad training plan is, is hard. So it, it's very individual. And... I couldn't tell you that our test is is really testing what you feel while riding. So it's probably uh, still a long way until you can say, okay, once you do di- good in this grip strength test, uh, you'll have no problems on the bike because there's so many frequencies. It depends on your suspension, your tires, on your handlebars, on, on so many things, how wide your grip is, how your hands placed, whatever. Yeah, so it's important, but then diving deeper into, okay, is it a problem for you? Is it not? Is it the performance indicator or not? Then you need to go down the rabbit hole and really look in detail individually uh, what you can do and have to do are you taking inspiration from uh, from any other disciplines because of course certainly the gravity disciplines they have a, a pretty significant cross-section with uh, you know let's say some of the motorsports motocross supercross uh, dakar kind of the rally side of things um, are you kind of looking at what these guys are doing to to steer your coaching and and performance uh, performance diagnostics yeah, I always try to look outside of my box and see what what are the others doing. But also, I always tend to come back and, you know, downhill or enduro racing are are special. And comparing them to motocross or rally driving is always hard. There's some, as you said, similarities, but training is always very specific. And riding your motocross bike and being really fast may or may may not have any transfer to downhill mountain biking like it's hard to really say okay that's because i ride my motorbike or riding my motorbike will definitely make me a better downhill rider i cannot confirm or deny that it's good to have a look outside of your stuff and look what the others are doing but at the end of the day you need to focus on what your uh, what your sport is demanding. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, that's uh, you know that that's the that's the process, right? So you kind of uh, you, you try the things that you know. Uh, you see if they work. If they work, then that's great. If they don't work, you try something else. You start looking elsewhere. You try to implement it. Does it work? Does it not? Etc. Right. So that's kind of the this constant uh, improvement loop, if you will, right? So that you, mm-hmm. you, you continuously develop uh, um, towards whatever your your end goal or metric or whatever it is uh, that you're solving for. Um, the an interesting an interesting uh, topic that we just had uh, over dinner from uh, my better half. Um, she she really wanted to know what uh, what from your perspective is kind of the you know the the, the difference um, certainly in the, the gravity disciplines between the you know let's say the you know the top performers on your roster and uh, and uh, like the Patrick Potatoes like myself that uh, <laughs> you know do do a race every once in a while and uh, and and you know have have some you know some smaller goals um, and uh, you know what what sets them apart really what really sets them apart is time. 
So if you're a pro, you have a lot of time and that gives you the ability uh, to recover more and therefore train more. Uh, on the other hand, yeah, if you're working all day, uh, your time and your energy is limited and therefore uh, you have to adapt. But what you are actually doing is quite similar, I would say. Just less of it and um, less intense maybe, but it's just about time. And um, if you work, let's stick, let's stick with the Patrick Potatoes. Um, if you uh, if you you know in general terms right so do you prescribe in terms of the overall training do you prescribe kind of the same ratios between let's say you know endurance and strength and um, and skills for for Patrick Potato than you would for you know your top performers or do you do you have that a bit more nuanced? That's depending on the person you know you always get to see okay where where are strengths and weaknesses that's why you do performance tests with the elite athletes of course and every day patrick potato doesn't do any performance tests <laughs> but um you kind of try to work on weaknesses or let's say you know the pareto principle yep pareto principle so you try to get the 20% where he gets 80% out of, and for the elite athletes, you can work on those 20% where you need to put a lot of time in. But uh, it really depends on the rider, on the individual, and then see, okay, you have this and that that you need to work on, and then really specifically target that and just move the biggest levers. That's pretty much it. And like in your everyday work, what, uh, I mean, just to get a feeling, what is kind of the split between, you know, elite athletes and uh, the everyday, the everyday athletes? I would say it's about 70 elite and 30 uh, everyday athletes, but I'd like to work, I'd like to work more with everyday athletes because it's really rewarding and you can see a lot of progress in a short time and really help them improve their riding experience so that's that's a really cool thing and i think there are a lot of motivated people out there and if they do a couple things differently their riding can change a lot so that's definitely something i like to do and maybe i uh, can do more in the future bryson yeah my ears just perked up because i'm also one of these uh you know, continuous self-improvement type of individuals. I don't like to do like the full-on maximum. I'm I'm still a little bit casual. <laughs> um, but from just a general principle standpoint, I like to always kind of have something on the horizon to look out for or a goal or whether it be a goal or a, an idea that I just let kind of myself embody so I can maybe find a motivation or an inspiration or whatever it is. So it's actually, it sounds like a good idea. I never, never thought of that. And actually didn't think so much about mountain bike coaching either. So maybe I should do something of that. Anyways, the question would be, um, I didn't even lead up to it, but anyways, uh, for sure you're, 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 you're with, um, you're with some more, uh, prof professional and elite athletes. And do you, do you find that they're all, really like subscribe into this program of like uh getting the testing searching the results you know hitting all of those levers that are going to make the biggest moves or is it is it really a, a, a like kind of a spectrum of like some of them have their own motives and some of them are like completely sharp focused yeah it's definitely the the latter it's some athletes they're like machines they do everything you tell them. They give their all and train uh, as hard as they can and really thrive in that environment. And others, they're more like, they just want to ride their bikes. And yeah, you get them into the gym a couple times, but they're just driving on, on riding and uh, expressing themselves on the bike. And every athlete needs something different. And it definitely changed in the last few years. You can see that in, in the World Cup scene with uh, 
and Gwyn leading it, like really training or like, I know Fabian Barrell and all those guys did it before, but like make it professional. Like fitness is, is a big thing now. Like if you're not up to, up to standard, yeah, those guys will drop you and skill is definitely still very important, but without fitness, you're, you're gone. And, uh, that has definitely change a bit and also in regional and national racing uh is getting more and more important and yeah you can see uh, different athletes tackling it differently but that's also one thing you know that i look for an athlete is coachability like some athletes they can have the best plan i can uh yeah provide them with all my support but if you're not using it if you're not asking the right questions or using the know-how or resources that is presented to you and do the work like nothing's going to happen so those athletes who understand that and figure it out themselves how it works best for them you know they don't need to be uh machines and training all day but just doing doing the the key sessions you know doing them with heart and think about what they're doing then that's going to go a long way, but definitely wide range of uh, athletes out there, especially with gravity. I think it's, it's different. If you look at the cross country side, it's much more serious. Everybody has a training plan and structure and records all the data they need and whatever. And gravity, uh, athletes need to learn, learn a lot, but, uh, it doesn't have to be the same way uh, as, as cross country. You know, uh, there's different ways to do it, but, Definitely some more intention and more thought towards training process and not just, not just going riding, you know. I see a lot of downhill riders, they just, when the training for them is, okay, I go to Verbier one day, ride all day, then I go to uh, <laughs> Portisole, shred all day there, and then, yeah, I'm ready for the race. But that's not how you get faster, you know. It, it goes only so far. And, uh, if there's no purpose or any thought put into that, those runs, then they might just, just, or they just going to make you tired and nothing else. So definitely a lot more behind the scenes thinking and doing than just going for a ride. But, but you're not saying it's just about like the best, the fastest riders are the best fitness athletes, right? It's not about that. No, definitely not. Definitely not. The best athletes bring the whole package, as Pascal mentioned before. Is they bring the skills, they bring the fitness, and they bring the mentality to put all all of it together and really like reflect on what they're doing and why they're doing it and how to implement that into going fast on day X. That's another thing, you know, you, you can be fast in training, but like putting it all together on day X is, is what counts. And if you do not have the capabilities or the resources to know how to make that happen, like you can train all day. That's, that's how I was, you know, I had, I had a really good training plan with, uh, with Nicole Siegenthaler. I was fitness wise. I was up there. Technically, yeah, I was definitely not up there because, yeah, I didn't have anybody who was coaching me or telling me or I didn't put any thought into that. But I was a training world champion, as you'd say, but no idea how I'd transform all that training into riding fast. You know, I had the pieces of the puzzle, but I had no idea of putting them together. So that's what I see. And yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing that definitely some people just could improve on in asking the right guys or just getting a bit of help on, okay, you have a lot of time, you do a lot of training. Now let's, let's make it happen for you. And just a few small adjustments and maybe like a couple uh lessons and then it'll change a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, exactly. That's the, uh, you know, that should be the, the role of a coach, right? So, I mean, it's just because um, a lot of a lot of athletes, and of course, over, over my, let's say that in air quotes, sports career, I've 
met a couple of athletes. I've been an athlete myself. I've been coached myself. I worked with many coaches in many different sports. But an athlete also needs to learn how to be coached and let himself be coached, right? So because, as you say, right, it's one thing to just go to the bike park and bang out laps and then do it again the next day and then the next day again and then maybe do a rest day and then be hopefully ready for um for uh for the race but uh you know you also you need someone to 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 tell you like okay well let's do this a bit more structured you do you know whatever two runs you do it this way and then we take a break and then we do this activation exercise and then we do this and then uh, you know so to 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 basically hold their hand and then guide mm. all that energy into into the right direction and then that's when the magic happens i guess yeah yeah that's that's so important and you know like as i said doing a lot of things is easy and training training is easy in that sense but doing the right training at the right time and especially resting at the right time and not doing too much and knowing knowing when to when it is too much and when it's not and all those things that, that yeah make the the pieces a whole picture those things you need someone with a bit of experience but some guys get a long way with just being really skilled on the bike and that's i think that's a cool thing that gravity gives us like if you're a skilled rider you can go a long way um but yeah at some point it ends or someone that is not technically so uh so uh refined yeah has a harder time but can make up uh, in other areas that's that's cool so you can you can use different abilities to to go fast and that makes it really interesting yeah absolutely but you know it wouldn't be us if we weren't asking for some highlights so i mean looking back i mean obviously you have now uh, a couple of good years um behind you in in this uh, in this role uh what are some of the highlights definitely winning last year's world cup title with kami um that was pretty stressful stressful with the broken collarbone and all that stuff yeah dang but um that that felt good that felt good um obviously like props to cami she's an amazing athlete and I only did a really tiny part of all that, but um, that felt good. I was really, really uh, relieved and happy that it all worked out. And uh, it was definitely a highlight for me. But, you know, for me, not only the big titles are highlights, also like if I get a text from an athlete or uh, some some uh, Patrick Potato uh, that he feels good <laughs> and sees improvements, you know, that makes my day. and makes me smile and gets me stoked on coaching and uh, I want to do more. And uh, those are, those are small highlights, but like uh, at the end, like that's what I uh, thrive off and gets me pumped. And I want to help more people. That's, that's really cool to see. And of course, titles are nice, but those are limited. And uh, yeah, that's not, that's not my goal or not my, own only reason why I do that and even helping the small guys who get 30th or 50th whatever that's fun if he's if he's stoked I'm stoked you know or she that's what counts Bryson yeah if I can just rewind a little bit during those three I have very big interest for this so during those three years you try to make it what was your what was your like setup like? You you obviously didn't have a factory team, so you tried to get your own bike. You tried to get your own sponsors, and in the end, let's say um, not at the very end, but like overall, like what was your package looking like? Um, you got a frame, you got a you got Fox, or what, what happened? So yeah, so first of all, there was no like social media, or like at the very beginning of social media or anything like that. So. I was doing a resume on paper and printing out some uh, pictures and uh, tried to go to Eurobike and show those <laughs> to some people. <laughs> that's how but, we did it back in the day. <laughs> yeah, that's how we did it. And I was, I was bad. I was bad. Like my resume, looking back, there was nothing. <laughs> and so I had to, 
<clears throat> I was working or helping out at the bike shop and he was he was helping me out a lot and that's how it started and then from there I went to some distributors in Switzerland that like gave me some discounts on on bikes and clothing and all that stuff and tried to uh, to look professional putting logos on the jersey and all that stuff but it was pretty pretty ghetto setup but uh it got a bit better over the years i um even uh made a little team with the national coach of today karina capillari uh, we had for one season a little team going with some sponsors and but it changed year by year and um it was really i never made any money of it or anything close to that but uh had the Akira tuning uh helping me with some suspension and yeah, my friend who's a bike mechanic helped me with uh yeah, changing brake fluids and all that basic stuff. But yeah, looking back, you know, I didn't know what rebound did or high speed compression or whatever. I was it was ghetto. Like I, looking back I didn't I didn't know what I was doing, but as I said, great learning experience, tried to make it happen and got some people to support me and but at the end it was a one-man show and yeah my parents backed me but they didn't know how elite sports work or what I should be focusing on or who I should ask and yeah I'm kind of not that guy that talks to everyone I'm kind of more introvert or maybe more the quiet guy in the pit so I didn't get to know um, too many industry people or show myself and said i'm gonna be winning races for you guys so that didn't make it any easier so yeah support was limited and uh just tried to make it happen but looking back you know even if i had the best bike and best setup it probably wouldn't have happened you know it was all about mental and skills that was not uh, working for me so um the bike was definitely not an issue but yeah just try to copy the teams and guys I saw around me and and work from that. So one more throwback question, if I may, because I'm a fan of the OG. Um, you know, nowadays, as you said, there's social media and people see that, you know, there's a pri- there's privateers out there. And even, you know, privateers are making their own little movies and getting them on Pinkbike and YouTube and everything like that. And I watch those too. It's some good stuff. Um, but, you know, back then, you know, you were our privateer. And there was privateers. And like, I think maybe that's something that's uh, not really like fully realized that today is obviously there's privateers, but you know, back in the day there was also privateers. So what was the privateer field like in comparison to today? I mean, now you're not looking at it as a privateer so much, but I mean, you're still in the, you're still in the circuit. So Mm -hmm. you see something. Yeah. Well, some, some are like I was have no clue. (laughs) Not no clue, but like I look at their bikes and see so many things that uh, you should you should change that and this and um, that will make life easier for you. But uh, with the internet and social media, you have so many resources that the privateer level got higher. I'd say so they can check uh, what the pros are doing, how suspension might work, what kind of tires they should run, or just get an overall better idea of what an athlete is supposed to do. Back then, yeah, just uh, looked at my friend's bike and that was not any better. So um, definitely made it a bit uh, harder. But yeah, you still see some things that could be changed for privateer racing and help them with easy things. But overall level, definitely a bit higher. I see. Yeah, I bet some uh, privateers are even using... Uh artificial intelligence to get training <laughs> probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely but um you know obviously you take you take uh you take all these experience together that that uh you know that you made as a as a privateer trying to to make it you were a young lad as they say um what would you what would you recommend what would you say to to a young racer today you know, maybe like 12, 13, 14, 15, he wants to get into sport. What are your, what are your best tips? The freebies, of course, the freebies. The freebies. The, for the goods, the goods <laughs> ones, they need to pay extra. 
And the one thing I'll tell me, like, just have fun. You know, there's a reason why you got into mountain biking and doing all that racing, traveling in the car or with your friends all over the place. And, you know, that's that's why you gone into it. And you should keep that going and never forget on why you started and just definitely have fun doing it and not starting to think of it as a as a job or a thing that you have to do because that kind of happened to me so uh, it turned into a a chore and kind of lost sight of why I, I I do it or why I started doing it and always thinking about results definitely didn't make it fun if you're not winning so definitely have fun have a good group of friends around you who share your passion um that will get you uh, a long way they'll you know help you and push you to do some crazy stuff or go a bit faster definitely always good to have friends around and then yeah maybe maybe get a mentor or someone who tells you two or three things that will keep you from wasting a couple of years or making mistakes or just, uh, yeah, get everything on track. So you're going the right direction. One thing, one thing we've been uh, talking uh, quite a bit about recently is, um, is a question that came from a couple of our listeners, um, is, is, is around, uh, getting into enduro and, um, you know, maybe some racing, what is the rider profile, um, those kind of things. So for young people, mostly, um, you already hit on quite a few of those points before with your, with your tips for a young person. But, um, if you think about enduro specifically, is there anything else that you would add to your recommendations from before? Enduro is, as you said, like there's the format is ever changing. So we don't know what exactly are the requirements yet. Because uh, yeah, we might have a better idea now with EDR and might stay a bit more like that. But uh, it it used to be two days and now it's one day and yeah, we saw a lot of things. So so from a physiological standpoint, it's it's kind of clear what your profile should look like, but it's definitely not making it easier for a coach to really be able to tell you okay. Uh, this this will make you a great enduro rider. But as you only get one run as of now for your riding or for your racing, uh, skill is king still. So you need to be able to read terrain quickly and adapt and just be an overall fast rider that will just be able to go fast without knowing the terrain and to be able to do that, um, you need to have different experiences in uh, riding. So you might ride some downhill, you might ride some motocross, ride some BMX, all kinds of stuff. You can just get experience, even when you're young, you know, you can uh, ride all, or do all those things and might help you become a better enduro rider. But at the end of the day, you either have it or you don't. I think it's it's fascinating it's fascinating um to to watch right because it's uh, over let's say over the last 10 years since you had this the premier level where it's starting to be kind of unified let's say um you've had so many different athletes being incredibly successful and they're all from very very different backgrounds right so you had sort of you know if you look at the current men's field you have from former cross-country racers to former downhill racers. And now the younger guys, the first ones starting to come up that have only lived with the EWS as it was. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really, really interesting to, to see how it changes, where it actually settles. And, uh, you know, if they can find that balance between, you know, being a representation of the grassroots level on the one hand and catering to the demands of a premier sport event that, you know, needs to be presented in TV to be attractive for sponsors and, and all the rest of it. Right. Because that's mm -hmm. really the paradox that uh, they need to solve with, with Enduro, I think. 
Yeah, definitely. That's one thing. But yeah, as a as a youngster, just start racing. Uh, if it's downhill or enduro or something else, let's say, just get racing experience under your belt. Get yourself out there. And with racing comes experience. You'll see a lot more tracks if you're racing than just trying to train uh, in your backyard and your local tracks. So racing gets you uh, gets you places and think that will help the most and now we have this uh under 15 category downhill in enduro here in switzerland so really try to use those to gain some experience even if the format's not the same doesn't matter but yeah just just get out there and, and hit it fully agree and i guess with that uh we start closing it out um, we have our three closeout questions that we like to go through with uh, all of our guests. It gives kind of a, a nice ending to to all of our uh, to all of our episodes. Um, we've talked a lot about racing. We talked a lot about coaching. We talked a lot about all the different things. But we haven't heard, apart from the Tombola bike, we haven't really heard about that bike that got you really stoked about mountain biking. Or is it the Tombola bike? <laughs> Um, no, I'd say it's the Rocky Mountain Switch that really got me stoked because that was, that was just another world for me. Those dual crown forks, Mursoki drop-offs that I've only seen in movies and the you know, wide handlebar and massive, massive tires. And it was like, that was just another world. And I remember it came just before Easter and just unpacking that and uh, I was just riding around the neighborhood with it, you know, totally overbiked. <laughs> but uh, that was that was awesome. It just hit the hit the spot, and yeah, from there on, I was hooked. Nice, very nice. Um, okay, the the next one, an open, another open-ended question. Imagine yourself as a bike magician extraordinaire. Let's call him. Harry Skidini, and you can make riding a bike more awesome for anyone by the stroke of a magic dropper post. What would you do? You know, when I go out for a ride here in my neighborhood, all I ride is, is trailers that are illegal. So what I would do, I'd just make mountain biking illegal in, in Switzerland, in uh, all the forests and all the places you can go and, uh, yeah, get get more riding going, more trail centers, more parks. Just you know, use being allowed to use our landscape to really uh, show what Switzerland has to offer and yeah, develop athletes. So uh, I think that would be a thing because yeah, right now it's it's a pain. You always have to be worried if if you're allowed if getting trouble riding or even thinking about building a trail or having somewhere to train. So I think I would just uh, make your authorities approve of all the trails we want. It's a golden answer, Nick. I'd really admire it. But actually, some might argue that mountain biking wouldn't be as it is today without having us to persevere the, the man, you know? <laughs> I mean, certainly in, in the North Vancouver freeride scene as well. It was, it was some... Um, there were some times. But anyways, uh, on to the number three. Now, when I heard you mention NWD4, uh, okay, my eyes opened wide because – actually, sorry. You said number number five, but number four was my favorite. But anyways, let's just say we're, let's just say we're talking about number five. I mean, they're, they're all epic anyways. Watch them back to back like forever. Um, yeah, you know. Imagine yourself as uh, the kid or Shandro, and you're just shrouping, but you're going to set yourself up for the perfect skid. Tell us what that looks like. I wouldn't do my perfect skid would not be uh, in dirt. I'd be in a in a parking garage on asphalt where you can hear like the loud squeaking noise and the nice black skid mark. <laughs> That's what uh, <laughs> I had fun doing when I was a kid, yeah. So it's nice and loud, and you can uh, really see your black skid there dropping some rubber. Yeah, <laughs> you can see yeah. your results. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, exactly. you're all about That's that. Nice yeah. <laughs> Nick, this was uh, really, really cool. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. 
Um, if uh, our listeners have questions and want to reach out to you, want to know more about you know what you do, where can they find you? They can uh, find me on Instagram on uh, Walter Nick MTB Gravity. Um, that's probably the easiest way. There you can also find a link to my website. Just drop me a direct message or uh, write me a message on the website and I'll get in touch. Sweet. We'll uh, put those in the show notes so people can find it. Um, with that, I would like to close it out. Thank you very much. This is really interesting. Bryson, thank you. And I hope well, I see you soon, actually, uh, next week for a session. Bingo. <laughs> Until then. Yep. Thank you, Pascal. And thank you, Bryson. Thanks for having me. Good time. was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Pascal and I put a lot of heart and soul into this podcast, and it means a lot to us that you've listened to it. We'd also really appreciate if you shared it with the people that you know and care about. Until next time, Skigglers.